Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, happy new year and welcome to the 79th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So happy new year to you, Matt. Happy new year, Mark. We're in 2021 and it's pretty much a continuation of 2020 so far. Yeah, so far, so far. (laughs) Uncertainty. Yeah, more uncertainty. They're always everyone always makes such a big deal about how much uncertainty twenty twenty was, but there always is uncertainty. There's never not. Good way of saying it. So good way of saying um, it. Yeah. So we got a lot for for everyone today. So we'll hop right into it. Um, usually we start out going over the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track, but that is going to be one of the themes that I cover later uh, for the full year of 2020 performance for different asset classes. All right, it's going to be good. So we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, So moving on, uh, starting with uh, news and headlines from the week, um, stocks rallied uh, to new highs going into the end of 2020 with the recent optimism uh, that the vaccines are now here and um, that those are getting distributed. Uh, We've heard of some supply issues, uh, but hopefully those get hammered out and people start to uh, get vaccinated if they choose so we can get back to a more normal life. Um, There's continued monetary support, obviously, from the Federal Reserve, which we seem to talk about a lot. But again, they're committed to doing whatever they need to to support the economy until we get back um, to the unemployment numbers that we saw before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, a stimulus bill was passed Uh, which we talked about last week. So if people want specifics on that stimulus bill, um, you can go uh, to jessupwealthmanagement.com for the show notes, or you can go to any of the uh, podcast outlets that we're on, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Breaker, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, and go back and listen to episode number 78 for details on the stimulus bill. Um, But we have heard that $600 direct payments to Americans have already started. Um, So expect to see more of that in the coming weeks. Uh, Obviously, yesterday was the big runoff elections uh, for the Senate seats in Georgia. And it's looking more and more like that the Democrats are going to take control of the Senate. So that is something also to keep an eye on, which we will talk about here in a little bit. And I'm sure over the next couple of weeks. Um, another vaccine update, uh, as of the 4th of January of this year, uh, injections of the vaccine ran north of 300,000 per day, and that's supposed to get ramped up in January with 13 million allocated doses with just over 4 million being injected or used so far. Um, the December jobs report, Uh, Due out on Friday, economists are expecting a uh, 245,000 headline figure, according to Bloomberg, and an unemployment rate of 6.7%. Weekly initial jobless claims fell to below 800,000 last week, and it's been a long time since that happened, Matt. Uh, And continuing claims are coming in at 5.39 million, which is the lowest figure um, since COVID, pretty much. So. Yeah, I mean, it's slow and steady, continued gains on the job front. 
What I also want to say is on the unemployment rate, which people expected to come out at 6.7% on Friday, Mark, the Fed is pretty much still indicating that they want to see that number closer to three and a half, I'm sorry, 3.5% before they begin to raise interest rates. Mm -hmm. So if people want to benchmark, like, you know, where are you getting this information until the, the Fed says they're going to raise rates? They're, one of their two components is that unemployment rate. And they want to see that closer to 3.5%. And right now, it's supposed to be around 67 when we get the numbers on Friday. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be definitely something to look out for. Okay, so moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week that caught our eyes. I will uh, let you kick this one off. I really enjoy preparing for this podcast. I mean, given, you know, we did the, uh, the focus on the stimulus bill last week, Mark, it was actually hard for me to dwindle down my list of things I wanted to share with listeners. So I have a couple uh, in here to, to poke the bear. I got to poke you a couple times on some things. Of course you do. So uh, I, gotta, I got some good content, buddy. Here we go. <laughs> First is from Braver Capital Management. They have a weekly research note they sent out. Uh, this one was from December 31st. The title of the note, Mark, Robust Shopping for Homes and From Home. <laughs> Ready? Here we go. The housing market continues to propel the economy, they say. Home sales reached a 14-year high in October, with buyers pushing prices up at the fastest annual rate since March of 2014. Ultra-low mortgage rates and buyers reallocating from urban areas in search of more comfortable work-from-home living spaces have fueled the housing market's strong 2020. They go on to say, while plenty of people have been shopping for real estate, they've also been increasingly buying goods online. Analysts say that e-commerce experience uh, more than two years of growth in 2020 alone. All those internet goods need to be packaged before they can be shipped to your door, leading to the tightest market for cardboard producers in more than 25 years. That's no surprise, Mark. Paper packaging hit record levels every month between June and October, and the mills continue to run at full capacity, with some capping orders and farming out work to contractors. Now, here's my response. Mark, when I see notes like this, it makes me want to remind listeners that it's trends and investment themes like this that are worth exploiting via several stocks. And that's why I wanted to share it. Would you like to expand upon that statement no, or comment? I, I don't think so. I think you did a good job with that. But it's, um, you know, this this is one of those things that we've talked about before that this type of stuff makes sense, right? <laughs> um, you know, you have more people shopping from home. So obviously people need more cardboard to ship the stuff in. So obviously that's, you know, going to be a hot industry or, or trend. And I don't think necessarily that this has this is one of those things that has to slow down like we talked about covid has sped up uh technology and e-commerce so much like years in advance that i don't think this is this type of stuff is going to start to slow down um i think this is one of those things where this is a huge event that uh, accentuated um the process a, a little bit or even maybe as far as a couple of years uh doesn't mean that it has to slow down anytime soon so this is one of those things that makes sense to me I absolutely agree. So wanted to uh, share that with listeners. The uh, next one I have is from a blog post from Compound Advisors, and this was on December 30th, and it was titled 20 Rules for Markets and Investing, 2020 edition. Okay, you ready for this, Mark? These are the things that caught my eye with the 20 rules, and this is from Charlie. Okay, so um, 
I'm going to cherry pick just a couple of his rules, and I'm looking for a response from you. Okay? okay. After everyone. After everyone, just no comment or if you have something. Okay. Okay. First is be humble or the markets will eventually find a way to humble you. I've experienced that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Number two, there is no reward without risk. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that we go back to where, you know, uh, a year, two years ago, um, energy sector debt and, you know, master limited partnerships had yields sometimes north of eight, nine percent. And everyone's like, why aren't why, you know, why aren't we putting our money into this type of stuff? And people have to remember, you know, they have interest rates like that because people wouldn't buy them without interest rates like that because they are so risky. Um, so I think it's pretty clear uh, over a lot of the things that we talked about on the podcast, but over history, um, you know, the higher the return, the more risk you tend to have to take over time. Uh, there's no free lunch or holy grail when it comes to investing. And this is, uh, probably one of the truest statements, uh, about investing out there. I think I just want people to remember it and Mark, I agree with everything you said every year there tends to be a short-term investment trend where people start speculating the early adopters look like geniuses it goes to the roof and crashes and every year you have that theme and it's just interesting because you know lately crypto has been on just that term in general has been on fire and i think this is a nice reminder mm -hmm. next one is the longer your holding period the higher your odds of success you agree, disagree? Agree. And, you know, Charlie, in this report, and we linked the report to our show notes. So on jessupwealthmanagement.com, if you go to the, the podcast tab and click show notes, uh, you can see um, this full report from, from Charlie and Compound Advisors. But, yeah, it just shows that, you know, the longer your holding period, uh, the higher your odds of success and having, you know, the S&P 500 be positive. So, um, again, it, it's really hard to jump in and jump out and jump in and jump out of the market. And even though it sounds sophisticated and sexy, it's really, really hard to do. So in practice, um, absolutely one thing to keep it, keep it simple. Next is time is infinitely more valuable than money. Agreed. I don't disagree with that at all. Mm -hmm. You're going to love this next one. Saving is more important than investing. No savings, no investing. Yeah, I think it is. I, I really think that, you know, your savings rate is way, way more important than than your investment return. Um, you know, I think we talked about this on the podcast several podcasts ago. Uh, it was a financial planning topic of the week, but um, there is data and there are white papers out there that really, really dig into this. And if you're not saving uh, enough for your income, then it really doesn't matter what you're making uh, in, in investments. Yeah. Um, so I think that again, that's one of the things that people can control is their savings rate. So, you know, I think that's the, the easiest lever to pull uh, if you want to have more for retirement. It goes back to what you've always said. Focus on what you can control. Yep. I got two more. Diversification and asset allocation protect us from the inability to predict the future. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think, you know, anyone says that they should have, you know, all of their net worth in one asset or one stock. Um, I think that it's you know, we, we saw this over COVID that if you were, um, you know, allocated to a sector that got absolutely hammered, um, then your portfolio was down 70, 80% maybe. Sure. Um, so that's just 
one uh, recent example to show why diversification and asset allocation does does help and protect us a little bit. Last one I got uh, of the 20 I wanted to share, learn to control your emotions or your emotions will control you. Yeah, in my opinion, um, it's the latter for most people that they let their emotions control them. You know, uh, the most frequent time where we see this is when we're in good times, people are like, oh, I can handle, you know, 90% stock exposure or 100% stock exposure. But really where you get the real answer to that question is if you're saying the same thing when markets are down 30%. I think that's the time you need to answer that question. There you go. There you go. Um, because a lot of the time people can't handle that. People no. say if they can say I can handle a 50% drawdown, really I think that means they can handle a 25% drawdown. I would agree with that statement. Cut it in half. I would agree with that statement. So I got two more. Um, these are going to be great. First one is a tweet from Callie Cox. She's an investment strategist with Ally. And this is a tweet from December 30th at 9.41 a.m. Here it is, Mark. In 2020, the Russell 3000 index, and that's about 3,060 of big and small size company stocks, was up last year 18%. Only about 34% of those are up more than the index in 2020. Her message, stock picking is hard, even when all your friends are bragging about it. Yeah. Any comment? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Stock picking is hard. It's not easy. Um, and, you know, a lot of people usually are too late because they're, you know, they're following someone else or they're following the fund manager that had the best performance for the year and they missed the majority of the gains. Right. Um, so once someone builds like a track record, like a like a, a fund manager, if they have a good track record for five years and people start to notice that, you know, they hop on and then returns are lower than expected because they kind of miss the boat. Um, the other so. thing I, I, and I think that's a great, that's a great example to use. My other one is in regards to, well, my friend told me to invest in ABC or XYZ and, you know, people tend to only talk about their winners. So, you know, that person might've striked out on four or five names and but then hit the next one right and so there tends not to be full disclosure on that side of it yeah exactly and it goes back to the fad thing um where you know a couple of years ago when the the marijuana stocks were going bonkers you know we had people saying or i had people asking me they were like my friend made so much money on this you know marijuana company and this was when they had already fallen from grace and i asked them that question i was like well have they told you if they're still holding it, did they sell it at the very top? Where, you know, where do they stand today? And they're like, oh, yeah, we didn't really have that discussion. And it's no. like, yeah, usually you don't. You don't. No. No. So just kind of a, just throwing that out there. And the last tweet I have, this is the latest doom and gloom prediction for you, Mark. You're going to love this. This one is from December 27th. And I'm going to quote David Hunter the chief macro strategist at Contrarian Macro Advisors and a 47-year market veteran says a 75% sell-off is in store for stocks in early 2021, end quote. I just Googled his name and I saw this and he predicted on August 3rd of last year, and I quote, prepare for a massive stock market meltdown where the market could drop 80%. Now, from August 3rd of last year to December 31st of last year, the S&P index was up 14.83% according to stockcharts.com. 
I, I don't have, I don't feel like I have to say anything more. Anything you would like to share? Yeah, and I just this. I took a picture of an article that I was reading that uh, I think his name first name is Jeremy Grantham. Oh yeah, uh, is GMO. out again too. And um, you know, he was saying the same thing. He said, you know, we're in a big bubble. We're in a big bubble. And he actually he's better than most of them because he acknowledge that he's like a, a bubble truther <laughs> and uh, likes to talk about that kind of stuff and, and put his opinions out. But this guy, the same thing, you know, he was bearish in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014 and 2015. So just to add that that's another one for us of, of people who are who are bearish. But again, you can't just look at one article uh, written about someone like this that uh, is a doom and gloomer, um, you know, go back and before you put any weight to this, see what other calls that they've made in the past and if they've been right or wrong. I just, and most of the time you'll see it's a, it's a hit or miss type of thing. And I like bringing these up just as reminders because, you know, a lot of online financial sites, you know, the sensationalism is real right now. And how do you get the clicks, the clickbait is you have very big and bold predictions, Mark, and you know this, mm -hmm. and you're seeing them more and more, especially with the polarity in our political environment. They're really uh, attacking the fear aspect of an investor's psychology. And I just want to make sure that people are, are, are looking at these things through a good lens and, you know, see these predictions of the market's going to drop by 75 or 80 percent doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. Right. Exactly. It could happen. It could not happen. That's I right. think it's one of these things where you see that you see someone calling for it, but then just look at the market, look at the price action. There you go. We're in an uptrend right now. And that's you. all me or, you know, that there you go. You know, so. I'll send it back to you, sir. Um. So the first thing I had was from BTN Research on January 4th of this year. And they said that since 1950, the S&P 500 index has been up 54% of 17,866 trading days, trading days, 60% of 852 months, 67% of 284 quarters, and 73% of 71 years. So again, going back to, you know, your comment uh, on on Charlie's post, you know, most of the time the market goes up. So as long as you have time in the market, odds are you're going to be pretty successful in doing that. But where people get in trouble is the jumping in and jumping out and timing the market just doesn't seem to to work as good as, uh, you know, sticking it out and, and uh, having years uh, in the market. I just want to add, Charlie put back on those uh, 20 Rules for Investing 2020 edition. This is what he said about the, uh, the holding period. He added, the big money is made in the big move. The most important lesson from perhaps the most famous trading book of all time, um, reminisces of a stock operator, had nothing to do with trading. It was never my thinking that made the big money for me. It was always my sitting. He wrote that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good book. Have you read that book? I have not read that book. It's a good one. Yeah, good book. I read that. Uh, I think I read that earlier this year, actually. Yeah, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. Pass it along. I will. I will. Um, next is, 
I wanted to go over the breakdown of performance for 2020 for different asset classes. And, you know, as always, just have to remember that past performance is not indicative of future returns. But this is from Bespoke Investment Research, and they did an asset class breakdown of different ETFs that track um, different asset classes. So first, Matt, without looking at this, All right. can you go ahead and guess for me what were the top two performing asset classes for last year? For last year, technology, followed by consumer discretionary. So you're correct on technology. So the NASDAQ 100 was up 48, the, the QQQ, the ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100, uh, up 48.71% in 2020. And the technology ETF XLK was up 43.84%. Um, but in a close second, silver. Silver. Silver was uh, the silver ETF uh, ticker SLV was up 47.45% for 2020. Interesting. It's very interesting. Um, so you're right on the first one, wrong on the second one. Consumer discretionary was up 29.71%, ticker XLY. Hmm. Um, just to go over performance uh, for most of the indexes that we go over every single week, uh, S&P 500 index, uh, ticker SPY, was up 18.52% year-to-date. Uh, the Dow Jones ETF, ticker DIA, up 9.68% year-to-date. Um, the IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index up 20.19% year to date. Most of those gains coming in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. um, which was which was huge. Um, some other notables, uh, energy, which really picked up at the end of the year, was still down 32.46% for the year. Wow. Uh, financials ended the year down, ticker XLF, down 1.62% for the year. Um, utilities, uh, ticker XLU, only up 0.59% for the year. So, you know, we've been getting a decent amount of questions on, hey, why, you know, these you know, financials, uh, utilities, energy has really rallied over the past couple months. You know, why haven't why haven't we started buying some of this stuff? And I think you have to take it and look at the the bigger picture. I mean, you know, we're not fans of energy because it was down 32% in the year, you know, after rallying significantly. So it was down much more than that. And a lot of the balance sheets don't look good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else is on here? Um, S&P 500 growth versus value ticker IVW growth up 33.30%. Uh, for the year 2020, the S&P 500 value ticker IVE only up 1.26%. So that's growth, a stark difference right there. Growth over value, and this it's the same story for mid cap growth, small cap growth versus uh, mid cap value and small cap value. Look at that um, DJ dividend ETF ticker symbol uh, David Victor um, yellow is down 4.88 last year. Mm -hmm. And I just want to throw that out there because sometimes people see these dividend yields and they all of a sudden they get mesmerized and they don't look at the whole picture. Right, right. Um, What else? Look here. Uh, A China ETF, 
ticker ASHR up 36.26%. So that was a very strong performer. And then Brazil down 20.41, ticker symbol Edward William Zebra. Yep. And then also uh, the UK uh, ETF, ticker EWU, uh, down 11.55%. Interesting. Uh, emerging markets showing year-end strength, ticker symbol EEM, was up 16.91% uh, for the year of 2020. Uh, the worst performing asset of the year by far was oil. So ticker USO down 67.80%. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, very. Um, and then... What, something that might surprise people, 20-year uh, treasuries, uh, ticker symbol TLT, up 18.25% for the year. So pretty strong year uh, for treasuries across the board. Yeah. So uh, just thought it would be interesting to just to go over some of those things, Matt. Um, we'll see if this is similar in 2021 or how these things change. So I think it's always fun to kind of look back on the previous year. And yeah, see we'll do this again a year from now. What did well and, and what didn't do well. So um, the last thing I have before we get to the financial planning topic of the week is a uh, article from LPL Research titled, A Big End of Year Rally is Bullish. So they say in this article that um, you know, if you get a greater than 10% S&P 500, 500 index gain in November and December, forward returns tend to be positive. Okay. Okay. So um, the average over uh, the average forward return in the following January uh, was 3%. And the following year average return was 18.1%. Now, let me mind you again that this is only one, two, three, four, five, six years total that this has happened, including 2020. So the sample size is very, very small. But it was just an interesting point um, that every year, uh, you know, after greater than 10% returns in November and December, uh, the following year tends to be pretty bullish for stocks. You know, I like I like anecdotal data like this. You know, it's factual. It's a similar time period. You know, it's not to say that January is going to be positive or this year is going to be positive. But at least you're looking back at prior instances of similar market performance. And to a certain extent, it does negate a lot of the, the markets at the top, markets at the top, because for how many years have you seen those headlines, Mark? Mm hmm. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, even though this is a small sample size, it coincides with a lot of data that we've seen of these bullish thrusts that we're getting. So small caps, for example, right now are like 25% above their 200 day or 50 day moving average. I can't remember what it was. And back when you look at history, that's what happens when you come out of major uh, market bottoms or recessions. Yes, so, yes, you know, this this data point with that data point and with um, a lot of other sectors participating in the, the uprise in the market right now, you know, that tells me that, OK, this holds a little more weight than, you know, just because it's a small sample size. You know, I, I like that there's other data points that help support this is what I guess is what I'm saying. Agreed. So. Agreed. Um, all right. So moving on to the financial planning topic of the week. So this week uh, comes from a blog post by Justin Costelli, and this is titled A Risk to Your Financial Plan That You Aren't Talking About on his blog, All About Your Benjamins. 
So, you know, we've all heard of the common risks when it comes to financial planning, you know, risky investments, not saving enough, debt, unemployment, et cetera. But there's one risk that is rarely discussed um, when talking about one's financial plan. And Justin breaks this down for us in this blog post back on December 11th. So before I start, do you think you can guess this risk that Justin's talking about? Hmm. I'm going to guess inflation. Wrong. Okay. Give you two more shots. All right. Three strikes. Longevity. Uh, I want to give it to you. Kind of, it's associated with it, but I'll give you one more shot. It's associated with that. Life expectancy. It's also, uh, you did a pretty good job, actually. I'll, I'll give it to you. All right, let's see what happens. Um, so Justin starts the article by saying there's another risk that can be just as detrimental to a well-constructed financial plan, and I'm willing to bet very few of you are thinking about it, let alone planning for it. I've had a few conversations with clients recently, and that has made me think about how I can help clients plan for or at least research their risk exposure. What's the risk? Your parents. Are you prepared to help support your parents as they age? So you're kind of on it. You were dancing around it. For many families, money is still taboo. You don't talk about how much money you make, how much money you have or don't have saved, and you definitely don't share your money demons. Sooner rather than later, uh, schedule some time with your parents to discuss how sound their financial plan is and whether or not they're at risk of needing your help in the future. So this way, Matt, you can kind of budget for it financially and mentally because it's a huge I would say it's 90% mental and 10% financial. Uh, yep. um, you know, this is a lot harder of a conversation to have when your parents need your help and you've never discussed it before. So if it gets thrown all you on you all at once because you didn't have this conversation 20 years ago, it's a lot harder to deal with and, and cope with yep. yeah. from, from a financial standpoint, because you have a shorter time horizon to, to make adjustments to your budget. And number two, mentally, you have no time to prepare for that. So, um, you know, I think this is something that is very real for a lot of families in America right now. I would agree, especially with the baby boomer ages, especially. Exactly. Um, so he goes on to say it might be a tough conversation. It'll be emotional. It'll be scary. And I know that this is not a fun conversation for people to have, but I agree with him. And I think that it's very necessary. Um, so he lists some statistics to motivate you and your parents to talk about money. Um, so there's a couple here that we'll just talk through. First is the life expectancy if you're age 65 plus. It's 83 for men and 85 for women. The likelihood of living beyond 90. So for a male, the likelihood of living beyond 90 is about 20%. And for a female, it is about 30%. So those aren't small odds, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously it's not 70 or 80%, but there's still a chance. So you have to be prepared for that or at least have the conversation of, okay, mom and dad, what do you guys have? Have you, you know, made a financial plan for yourselves? What's your plan going forward? So that, you know, the kids can prepare and put in their budget saving to help their parents live if they need to do that. Yep. 
Um, the average 401k balance. So depending on your age, uh, the average 401k balance is between 160,000 and 180,000. And that's for ages between 50 and 60. Okay. So that's not going to last very long for a lot of people, even though, you know, $160,000 and $180,000, don't get me wrong, that's a lot of money. But if you have to spread that out over 30 or 35 <laughs> not years, gonna happen. not going to happen. Uh, the average long-term care expense. And this was a number from Genworth that I was kind of floored by. I didn't think that this was the average, but do you want to guess the average uh, per month cost for a private room in a nursing home? Oh, Mark, last time I saw this statistic, it's been a while. So I'm going to tell you, the last time I remember seeing something in regards to this, it's probably about five years ago. And the national number, I want to say, was 6500 So I'm going to say today, with in inflation, I'm going to say $7,800 a month. This guy's good. This guy's good. What is it? $8,000 per month. Boom, baby! <laughs> so $8,000 a month for a private room. And obviously, you know, there are some people that have long-term care policies, but I would argue that most don't. They don't. Um, and a lot of them are going up in crazy cost and they can't even afford the ones they have now. Right, exactly. So that's a huge, huge expense um, if a parent does need does need care down the road. Um, so Justin kind of wraps up and has his takeaway that people are living longer. Many do not have enough money to supplement their fixed incomes and it's expensive to live long. If your parents don't have enough money, it will become your and potentially your siblings responsibility to help them. How Will you do that and continue with the plan that you have set for your family? So again, I know that it's not a fun conversation to have. It's a tough one. It's a it's a really tough one, but I think it's one that's necessary. Now, what, let's talk about real briefly why it tends to be the perception of being a tough conversation. Well, I think it's always that, you know, money's very private for a lot of people. And it's even private for parents to share with their kids what they what they really have. Um, and sometimes it's embarrassment. Um, parents don't want to let their kids know that they haven't done a good job saving for themselves and for their retirement. And they don't want to be looked upon as a, as a failure for that, I think. So I think some of it is embarrassment. I could see that. Um, so, you know, obviously there's ways to approach this better than just saying, mom and dad, sit down, show me all your statements. I think you have to come at it from the emotional aspect and be like, listen, mom and dad, do your research, bring numbers and statistics or go check out this article from Justin and bring this to them and be like, hey, I need to know so I can plan there in the future there it is. to help you. Yes. Because I have my own family to worry about and I'm putting together my financial plan and I'm willing and able to, to budget incorporate. to incorporate expenses for you guys in my budget and I'm willing to do that. I just need to know how much that is, if any. I just appreciate you taking those extra steps and kind of describing that, Mark, because I think that's going to help the listeners. I really do. Yeah, I do, too. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, me and, you know, to be completely honest, me and my twin brother are going through with with my parents right now. You know, yeah. we're having this conversation so that, you know, uh, and, and another aspect of this, too, is estate planning. Yeah. So going through and understanding how your parents' uh, accounts are labeled and beneficiaries and where assets are so supposed to go, that type of thing. 
Um, it's not that, you know, we want to know what our parents have. It's just, you know, we want to make sure everything is lined up so that, you know, we can get things lined up as kids if we need to. Right? Yeah, and I think that's a, you just hit on, I think, the second biggie, which is I think there's parents are concerned, well, if my kids know I have X, Y, Z and assets, they might not work as hard in life or whatever right. the perception might right. be. And I think a lot of those are just mis misconceptions. Yeah, I think they are, too. I think they are, too. So definitely a really uh, important conversation that I think um, people people should have with their parents if you haven't had it already. I think it'll make um, like a lot of things in life. Having the conversation early makes the pain that could be felt down the road a lot, uh, a lot lighter. Absolutely. So uh, we have one question from a listener this week, Matt, and it's from Dennis. Uh, and Dennis asks, what is your opinion of inflation trends in 2021 or beyond? And based on those trends, what are some pros and cons of those trends? Well, uh, my initial reaction, Dennis, is you are starting to see more headlines where people are you know, speculating because of all the stimulus money that that could lead to inflation sooner rather than later. My two cents is I don't think inflation is really going to be a major issue until you start to see the Fed raise interest rates and that unemployment rate gets closer to three and a half percent. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it's supposed to be about 6.7 when it comes out this Friday. So I do think there's going to be a potential hangover effect from what the stimulus has done and what this low interest rate environment is doing could lead to inflation down the road. But at least for this year, and most likely next, I think it's going to remain muted Full disclosure, personal opinion there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, the only other thing that I'll add to that is that, you know, the more stimulus that does go out, and we've seen this from the first stimulus package that happened when money went out, people are spending that money. That's what it's designed to do. Right. So yep. people are spending that money, meaning more money is chasing fewer goods, and that leads to inflation. So again, I agree with you. I think eventually it'll lead to a hangover, but it's any, really anyone's best guess as to when that's going to be. Um, so, you know, I still think we're going to be in a low rate environment for a significant period of time. And, you know, my guess on that is probably about two years. Yeah, I think that I don't think it I don't think this negatively impacts stocks, though. In no, my opinion. no, I'm not not in that camp at all. I just think it's going to be interesting in two years because we just got to remember, Dennis, that a possibility is that we go down the road of Japan, which is all this printing of money could lead to deflation. We got to remember that that is a possible outcome. So before we sign off, I know you have a quote to share with some listeners, um, and then we will leave it there for the week and be back with you uh, next week on the 80th uh, episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. And we have a guest on next week that we'll keep a secret for right now. But uh, Matt, I'll turn it over to you to kind of sign us off here. I love this one. This is from Neil Gaiman. Quote is, I hope that this is your year to come. You make mistakes. Because if you're making mistakes, then you're making new things, trying new things, learning, living, pushing yourself, changing yourself, and changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before, and more importantly, you're doing something. 
Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.